Welcome to the Pixel Classroom podcast where we talk about passion, innovation, epilepsy awareness, entrepreneurship, gaming, and more. This educational podcast is meant for everyone out there looking to expand their horizons, learn for about pop culture news, and more. And I am your host, Ryan Reed. And you can look more on my classroom website at classroomsnextlevel.wordpress.com, better known as Dice Up the Classroom. Now, let's get into the most latest episode. Well, hi, everybody, and welcome to the Pixel Classroom Podcast, episode 94. That's right. Let's kick off the month of February. So today, I have a pretty amazing guest. Actually, he's not too far away here. He has served as a film critic, a featured writer, a reporter, a copyright editor as his career as a journalist. He wrote his first novel, The Boy Who Knew Too Much. I actually owned a nice little copy while working as a freelance writer. He has finished his second novel, a spy thriller aimed at a younger audience, which he hopes to sell later this year, and he's working on his third novel novel which is a sequel to the second book you know write those sequels he's originally from pennsylvania and he spent his saturday mornings as a teen years in libraries and saturday nights at the movies that loved reading film prepared him for future movie critics seeing such things as star wars which opened of course back in 77 and made him a movie lover ever since into of course viewing the classic james bond film the spy who loved me sealed his fate as a james bond fan and he first published your review was actually in the Ernie Times News, actually, when he was a senior in high school, more than I ever was as a senior in high school. And he eventually attended the uh, College of Marquis University in Milwaukee and is currently uh, living out here in the suburbs of Chicago Northwest area. I'd like to welcome my friend and fellow Spider-Girl fan, Jeffrey Westoff, to the Pixel Classroom Podcast. How are you today, Jeff? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Make mine May Day. Exactly. Hopefully Kelly and Zach are hearing that too. You know, I'm a little jealous. You were able to be on the uh, first episode of the Make uh, Mayday uh, um, video podcast there too. And I was actually sitting outside a uh, painting studio and was unable to get in there. They're asking me to join you. That was too bad you couldn't come. That was a fun. That was really a lot of fun. Yeah, hopefully I'll be able to get in one of these ones here since I'm working on my eight bits in the website. And of course, if nobody knows, since this is audio, uh, much like how my dog Willow likes to join these podcasts, son Tyler likes to jump on. Uh, uh, Jeff's uh, cat here is laying behind him in a very James Bond manner. My cat is Jasper. This is when I'm in this chair, he likes to sit up, lower my shoulders, and be superior. Exactly. I have a classmate when we do our Zoom for our instructional classes. Her cat likes to jump on her shoulder and like peek over the screen. Like, what are they doing? Ooh. <laughs> so, Jeff, uh, you know, I gave a nice little introduction about how, uh, how everything came about. So why don't you share a little bit about yourself, which I uh, didn't cover there and what kind of led you to, uh, you know, where you are building the library and freelance writing. Boy, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know, it's just, you know, just always loved reading. Like I read, I could read at an early age. Um, I credit it to watching the Electric Company. <laughs> Can't go wrong there. But hey, you guys, <laughs> no, it was kind of um, in the school district I was in in the early 1970s. I I could already read English, which sounds strange, but at the time they were doing like this experimental thing. It was called. 
ITA, I think it stood for Instructional Teaching Alphabet. So it was all phonics. And the spelling was based on phonics. The word read would be spelled R. And then there's like a symbol with two E's together and a D. And this drove me nuts because it wasn't, I knew it wasn't right. And I'm, you know, I'm in first grade and this isn't how you spell this. And I got, kind of got fortunate, I got skipped ahead a year. But I know a lot of my classmates up until sixth grade, they were still spelling read, R-E-E-D, you know, as in to read, not as things you see outside in the fields. Right. Something, something I know a lot about considering my last name is read and it's been spelled wrong for years, including by people I worked with for a couple of years. Said, Wait, right. you spell your name? Yeah, so I always loved reading. Um, and when I was in grade school, I, I remember this because going to the public library was a sort of a special event when I was a kid, but the grade school had its own library as, as they do, most do. And that was the library I used all the time. And I was checking out books all the time. I like, and I kind of, you know, I read the Hardy Boys a little bit, but then I got hooked on a series called Alfred Hitchcock and the Three Investigators, which isn't as well known now, but that was great because they, are you familiar with it? I've heard of it, but because my grandfather was a big Alfred Hitchcock fan. Right. So I read a little history about it. He, Alfred Hitchcock, like, agreed to license himself so he appears like at the beginning or usually at the end of every story when the three investigators come in and tell him how they wrapped up the case he said he goes good job jupiter and that uh, so the, the main guy there's three of them jupiter jones was the lead guy one uh, now i'm not gonna remember the other i think the other one's called another one's called Pete crenshaw and i forget the third one but jupiter jones was the brain and what was cool about them is their headquarters was an RV basically buried beneath a junk pile in a junkyard. So that, and they had secret entrances to get into it. So that, that's really the only thing I remember about the series that they had the cool secret headquarters that was buried beneath the junkyard. You know, and it's funny, you were talking about the, um, the, the junk because, you know, it was, it was interesting. Cause I know that they was talk back in the old Hamlet Barbera series when SWAT cats came up with the whole little hanger issue was inspired by an old, uh, Alfred Hitchcock series. And I was like, I wonder what that is. And now I think you just kind of finally put that. Uh, okay. Yeah, that was cool. And when I wrote my book, the boy knew too much. I, I, I tried to throw in little, tributes to past things but because the book was well when i wrote it it was set in the present time i i figured that yeah, a 15 year old boy in uh, the year 2010 that was that was even before that right like 2003 or something like that yeah wouldn't know who alfred hitchcock and the three investigators were wouldn't know who johnny quest was so but it's but encyclopedia brown is still popular so i threw in a little encyclopedia brown reference yeah it's, it's amazing that's the one character like the hardy boys and nancy drew really? around all these decades and still people know who they are did you ever see a movie called about schmidt yes i did because there's like a great encyclopedia brown joke in that movie i got i don't have to go Where back Wilson goes just he's like he goes to the home of like the his son-in-law to be and he's has to sleep in his old bedroom he looks around there's like all this stuff that like a, a kid growing up in the 1970s would have and he picks up a, like a vintage copy of encyclopedia brown and you see him reading it and then he flips to the back of the book it goes 
huh <laughs> <laughs> i think i do remember that scene too i mean yeah i really i mean it's a great it's a great comedy if anybody's wondering it's with jack nicholson and die uh die and Di- yeah. it, it, and it's a, and keanu reeves is even in it too before the beard it's actually a pretty funny movie and the explanation for those who don't understand the the encyclopedia brown books were basically short stories with mysteries and the solution to every mystery was at the back of the book so he had to turn to the back of the book to find out how. You know, what's so funny. do you remember the uh, late '80s, early '90s uh, VHS releases they did for Encyclopedia Brown? And he was a he was a Def Leppard fan. Encyclopedia. No, no, I never saw that. Yeah. There was a comic strip. I remember there was a Sunday comic strip for a while. Yeah, but I've never seen. I've never seen like any Encyclopedia TV shows. Or something. There was actually uh, Alfred Hitchcock in the. Well, they're no like you no longer say Alfred Hitchcock, but the three investigators apparently are huge in germany or they were a few years ago right and there was a three investigators movie made not that long ago 10 15 years ago so and i tried to watch you know i started watching at the beginning they're all on jet skis and like no 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 Yeah, I'm sending you a link to the IMB page on it too, which is kind of fun. Some of the act- the actors are still around too. Believe it or not, Scott Brenner was the was Encyclopedia Brown. Lauren Bridge was Sally Kimball in it. So it was only eight episodes. It was only around for um, it was on PBS. It was only around for two years. Oh, well, PBS that makes sense. Yeah, but I I remember too. I kind of laughed at things too. Their Bugs Meanie was uh was like this was like the classic like school bully. It was probably by it was a right. the actor whose name was Diane Zarman. And um, he was he did that, but he was also in a couple episodes of Saved by the Bell as well. So it, it's kind of funny <laughs> seeing him in those films. I still, <clears throat> yeah. When I think of the like the stereotypical, gee, stereotypical bullies, I the first one that comes to mind is Bugs Meany and not Flash Thompson. Believe it or not. Yeah, and it's funny. We'll talk a little bit more of that about Flash Thompson later on. When we get to our Spider Girl talk, but yeah, it's it's really interesting too. Where you took like the classic bullies. I mean, we think of bullying now, especially in different times too. But I know you you touched a little bit about your books too about bullying and uh, everything else. Too. What what do you think really goes into a writer trying to actually write a, a, a an antagonist like that versus you know trying to not kind of come up original, but not you know as they say not cliche. And sadly, it is a lot of bullies are cliche even in in this day age. Okay, well. In my book, The Boy Who Knew Too Much, I'll give you a little background, but it's about a teenage boy. In, he's from Milwaukee. He's on a school trip to Europe during the summer, and he's a huge spy fan. He loves to read spy novels. And, and while he's in Lucerne, he happens upon this guy who's in an alleyway who's dying. And of course, the guy turns out to be a spy. He whispers something just as he dies. And those words set my hero, Brian Parker, on this adventure all across Europe where he's chased by spies and criminals because he knows the secret of uh, America's latest weapon, if I remember yeah. my own book correctly. So Brian Parker was 95% me. And, you know, because I was, when I was in high school, I was a huge James Bond fan, which in the book translates to Brian being a huge Foster Blake fan. Foster Blake being my version of James Bond. So, and I know bullying isn't a big deal in my book, but because I was bullied in high school for being a big James Bond fan, Brian occasionally thinks about how he's been bullied for being a Foster Blake fan, but you know, the, the book doesn't play, take place 
in school. The book takes place in Europe. No, well, the I suppose you could say the bad guys are bullies, especially a sort of the odd job of my book. Although he's a bit more prominent than odd job, his character named Skirm. He's the not quite henchman, but he's been hired by the real villain. So there's a torture scene in the book. So so definitely bullying there. I was kind of happy that the the weapon I chose is based on a real weapon, which is basically a heat ray mm-hmm. that doesn't actually harm you, but it so, so or so they claim, but it just makes you feel intense pain without hurting, actually physically hurting you. So that was like a good way for me to actually hurt my hero without physically harming him. So that was like, you know, because spy novels are famed for having the hero be tortured. It's like, man, how do I torture a 15 year old boy? It's like, oh, well, exactly. actually, this works. <laughs> I can. I can cause him pain without actually hurting him. And that... Right. And I, I think that was a kind of a cool little piece too. Cause in one way it's like, well, yeah, he's, he's trying to get the information out of him but at the same time is it's like, yeah, but how would the reader feel like you have a grown adult man who is basically mm-hmm. you know, torturing a high schooler. It's like, right. even if it wasn't a spy thing, if anybody saw that, they'd be like, Oh man, what are you doing to that kid? Stop. So I, I think that was a kind of cool. What's one thing that was really fun about your book about the boy who knew it. Cause it did, it feel like think it's like, I was a James Bond fan, but I was a lot of other uh, things too. And, you mm-hmm. know, nobody, nobody really judged me on, you know, you talked about, you know, some people, you know, said, Oh, why do you like judge James Bond? It's like, for me, it wasn't much, you know, I like the action stars. And then, like I said, um, you know, when I got back into comics in 94 and I was a uh, sophomore in high school, I mean, it was kind of a, odd because I, a lot of people were not used to seeing comics. I mean, now people see comics, you know, graphic novels in high school, especially a high school teacher. They kind of go, oh, you like Spider-Man. Oh, you, I've never heard of Saga. What is that about? You know, they don't really tease you on that. But, you know, I played, you know, certain video games and, uh, you know, it was some people's like, why would you like a game like that? It's boring. It's stupid. I got you. you get mine. Got to play some more of these like, you know, Duke Nukem games and so forth. It's really interesting how you have kind of a genre shift with that, too. Uh, and something like that, like you said, like I said, there's not really bullying, but the teasing and kind of the made to feel like, well, yeah, I like this. Uh, why, why do you have a problem with it? Well, because it's dumb and you're dumb. It's it, it's interesting that, you know, yeah, that's and, the character was. And I remember because I was picked on a lot in junior high school for being Star Wars fan. And then kind of like I, might, I made my transition after I saw the spy. I love me to being a James Bond fan. And I thought naively, I thought, oh, well, James Bond is cool and Star Wars is nerdy. So now that I'm a James Bond fan, I won't get picked on so much. No, they just, it didn't matter. It's just whatever the thing I liked was, was the thing that I was going to get picked on for because they just wanted to pick on me. Right. And that's exactly it is, uh, you know, if you, if they, as they say, it's really something that yeah, people stop doing, but when they find like, oh, geez, no matter what I do, you find something wrong with it. So it's like, you're just mm-hmm. because you can do that. So yeah, it's, it, 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 it's, I think it's, you know, it's unfortunate situation as people want to, you know, hackle you or whatever, or make you feel low. They'll just find a reason to do it. Even if it has no basis to actually. Right. You know. Right. That was, that was my lesson. Or <laughs> <laughs> I guess what, when I was 13, it's like, oh, they're going to pick on me no matter what I like. I just like what I want. Exactly. I think that's a good lesson for all of us. <laughs> so and it's know, also, yeah, <clears throat> well, it's fine because back in my time it if you read a comic books you're outside especially and now it's so accepted now like and i don't think people actually read the comic books they just know the movies they just know heroes <laughs> but everyone is they're so it's like comic books are mainstream whereas you know when i was 
13, even younger than that. I started reading comics, well, probably when I was about 12. I mean, actually buying them every month. Right. Just, you know, you buying that and you're like, you're an outsider. You're, you're doing this strange thing. You read the comic books that you're not supposed to read. But now the things that made me, got, got me picked on when I was 12 or 15, everyone loves now. That's, that's the weird thing. Yeah, I, I'm kind of in agreement with that too. It's like, you know, it's it's like I said too. It's like, you know, I, I remember for a long time, especially when I was in high school, you know, you know, you had this kind of you know rebooming of of Star Trek, you know, everything from next generation to you know Deep Space Nine to Voyager, and then it kind of died off, and then really people knew, and then all of a sudden, you know, people talk about Star Trek now, and everybody's like, Oh yeah, did you see Picard? Oh yeah, I don't like Discovery. Yeah, well, same with thing. I was I was like like kind of a star. My I have some of my friends. Back in high school, were huge Star Trek fans. You know, I mean, I was the odd man out, even with my own group. I was a huge James Bond fan. Well, they're all science fiction fans. There's something else that uh, about the whole thing about comics being acceptable now. It's it's also that it's no longer just a boys thing, right? As our friend Kelly proves. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I, I just it was like about a year or so ago. I was wearing. I have a Stanley T-shirt. I was wearing that one day and I had a Spider-Man baseball cap on. I got like, yeah, no one's actually going to figure this out, but I'm, I'm doing it. I'm just my tribute to Stan Lee day. And right. I'm walking down the street and a group of girls, high school girls, maybe even younger coming the other opposite direction. I just passed them. And one of the girls goes, I see what you're doing there. That's cool. <laughs> and I just walk away thinking, where were the girls like that when i was in high school <laughs> you know and it's so funny like my son's you know my son's 11 and you know and our friends you know the kids thing, a lot of them are girls and they play games and then i talk about them how to do games they're like man and they like oh yeah and blah 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 and this is cool and then i said why were you girls when i was your age i know because like, yeah <laughs> when when i was in high school no girl would have thought i was cool for wearing a spider-man t-shirt no sorry well stan lee t-shirt yeah with this especially wearing a stan lee t-shirt with a Spider-Man face. Yeah, and, it, and it's so funny, you know, and it's it's really interesting how you were talking about the library. Like, my elementary school had a library. It was a really cool library, and we actually had the computer set up, the old Commodore 64, the old Apple IIs, and we played all these, you know, in, you know, uh, educational games. But it's really interesting when people would hear about the library during the 70s and 80s, people like, oh, the library, that's so boring, versus, like, the 90s to 2000s. <laughs> Libraries became a real like big sanctuary, it's not just for doing term papers, but people would go there, they would play games, they would be gaming clubs, there would be early computer programming. There is now. I mean, now you have 3D printing, even with COVID, you know, you don't have as limited, but it's really interesting how, you know, and you're a librarian too. It's like, you know, how did you really see that kind of oh. transition of something like that when you were like, well, I go to the library and it's kind of a cool event when I go to the library, but you know, back then people were like a library, it was so boring back then, but it's like, no, it really wasn't. Oh, I've never, for one thing, I'm, I'm not a librarian. I'm a library board member. Okay. Sorry about that. That's, 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 that's well, I, the, the, the librarians would want that clarification. That's, <laughs> that's for sure. Well, what you're talking about, I've heard this. It, it's the concept of the third place. That's not your home and not your workplace. It's just somewhere else you can go. And for me, especially when I was a freelance writer, I, the library was like my office. And I, I would go to the library and work on assignments because you're not distracted like you are at home, but mm. you can still get up and walk around and, you know, get something out of the vending machine. 
So, yeah, I, I got a lot of work. Fred, you know, I think I'm not sure. I, I wonder how many times my book went through the, the printing, the printer at the library, because that's, that's also I was working on the book. My first, the second book I wrote mostly here because of COVID. Because my process, it's, I haven't heard anyone else do this and it's super time consuming. But I think it's because my background as a newspaper reporter where you, you write short things. You're, you know, if you write more than 700 words, it's a major piece. Right. So my the, the discipline I adopted for myself is I went through the book chapter by chapter when I was editing it. So I like, would print out the first chapter, go through with a red pen, make the changes, print it out again, go through it again. And when I, I think when I finally got to making five or fewer changes that then I would move on to the next chapter. And this would, this was my process for doing the third draft, but really my third draft is exhaustive because I'm going through chapter by chapter and I'm going through each chapter multiple times. It works for me, but it does take, <laughs> make it a long, much longer process to write a book. Yeah. I, I have to feel your pain there. It's like me. I was in so many in and out of libraries over the course of my doctorate and everything. Else. Oh yeah. I, I, I mean, gee, I was in, I was in the uh, displays library. I was actually at the Palatine library at one point. I was at the cab. I was at Sycamore. Oh yeah. Oh, oh, I was, I was actually looking for you a couple of times at the Palatine. Oh yeah. I, I didn't see you, but uh, depending, depending on what you like, you know, like four years ago, you would have, no, actually, it's weird, you know. I'm I'm not on LinkedIn often, mm-hmm. but it was on the other day, and it says your work anniversary, your five year work anniversary is coming up. I've been working for five. I've had that job for five years. I can't <laughs> believe. It. I know that feeling. I got mine back in thing. Like you, yeah. you're at Stillman Valley for four, and you're going on five as of June of uh, 2022. I'm like, it's been half a decade. I'm like, I've gone through uh, how many graduations already? I'm like, wait, what? And it's like, including my first, you know, my very first freshman class or seniors about to graduate. And I'm like, wait, where do those four years go? What? Huh? <laughs> yeah, I know. Cause I think before I saw that thing on face on LinkedIn, if someone, had, if he had come up and asked me yeah, how long you've been working at your job now, I was like, yeah, three years. I guess. <laughs> the, the good side of social media these days. <laughs> <laughs> just... Remembering people's birthdays and knowing when oh, you're yeah. working mm-hmm. or when you publish something. <laughs> that's that's the best thing about Facebook is having like several hundred people wish you happy birthday. I, I have to say too, like my ba- my birthday la- last year, I have to say the, the couple of days leading to it were not a good couple of days. And after reading all those ones, it was uh, like, yeah. good, good, good to read all that. <laughs> I have to tell you something. Uh, my first year at college. Uh, so, you know, I, I grew up in Erie, Pennsylvania and I went to school in Milwaukee at Marquette University. Mm-hmm. Been there. So, yeah, so my first birthday away from home, away from my family, and I hadn't got the call from my mother yet that day. I'm walking down Wisconsin Avenue, which is Milwaukee's main main street. Um, on a random day, how many times do you think you hear someone shout "Happy Birthday" to someone else? On, on a random day, like doesn't on, on any given day. On any given day, I think at the best, maybe one or two people. I, I was at okay. a gas station one time and somebody was on the phone and said, hey, happy birthday. I forgot to call you yesterday. It was like, oh, well, that's nice. You don't hear that often. So on that day, walking down the street, I swear, me, me feeling miserable because no one had wished me happy birthday. And it was my birthday. <laughs> it was my first birthday all alone. I swear I heard 
eight people shout, hey, happy birthday to someone. <laughs> and maybe I was just more attuned to it that day and more sensitive to it. But it's like, hey, it's my birthday. Which Right. And I remember my, you know, and, I, and like I said, I commuted in my first year of college, but I remember one time it was my birthday and I walked through, I think, a lecture hall on my yeah. way to class and there was like three people saying happy birthday. Like, it's mine too. <laughs> so what do you want to talk about now? <laughs> so, I mean, we we, we talk about birthdays. <laughs> I know. Actually, I think we'll, we'll move on to uh, something we're pretty good here. Let's go. We'll go to recent news and then move on. Actually, what that what that certain movie did too. So you know, it's like you know, Spider Man. You know, we talked about that a lot of ways. Uh, a lot of ways here, and we were you know, No Way Home has been as you know, as I said, big biggest hit here. And also, as they, we found out a couple days ago, it marked a landmark uh, piece for Tobey Maguire and William Defoe playing the uh, same part for so many years, which is uh, mm-hmm. almost unheard of um but you know you know speaking of spider-man you know it, it, you and i first met on the spider-man message boards way right. way back then in the early days of messaging yeah. you know, forget forget this instagram and tiktoks and clubhouses folks here you know jeff and i were back in the days where you had that dial up you had to go to a library mm-hmm. or a school computer or maybe you had one of the early imacs at home to go on and actually interact with people there were no fan sites and discords back in the day <laughs> Yeah, uh, first time I was ever on the internet was the, well, by myself, a friend of mine introduced me to it because he's a computer guy when I was home in Erie one time. So I was like, ooh, I got to check this out when I got home. And so the first time I was ever on the internet myself was at the Algonquin Public Library. Ah, in there too. And then one, they had one computer with internet access and no browsers. So it's like, it's like DOS. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the old DOS one long before Netscape and Internet. Yeah, Explorer. yeah. Interesting. Couldn't do much with it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I remember an old Ghost Rider episode in the 90s where they had them first getting like modems and they were doing the Internet. And this is actually uh, a, a certain young actress from another uh, another spy movie. Uh, Julia Stiles is, was the bad guy in that episode. Uh-huh. too. But oh, interesting. It was so funny. I watched I, I and you can find them on YouTube um, or, or, or Vimo. But you look at their Internet, which is like an early versus a DOS. And they really were using DOS even for a PBS series. They were kind of like, well, how else are we supposed to make this up? We only can do animation with Ghostwriter so much. We actually have to, you know, use real Interneting to film. And you could tell that the camera was watching as the screen just flickered because of uh-huh. how it was back then, because it's like, folks, this is 1991. What do you expect? <laughs> So I, I learned something. I learned a lesson very, very early. This is like when I was at my friend's house. Uh, when I, he's first showing me what the internet is. Uh, there's these things called message boards. or They weren't even called messages. Anyway. I don't so know. I'm on one. And he shows me one. And it's like cartoon, classic cartoon message boards. And there's like the topic is, what was the better band? Josie and the Pussycats or Gem and the Holograms? Oh, wow. And I'm like, come on. It's Josie the Pussycats. There's, there's no question. Why are you even comparing Josie and the Pussycats to Jim and the Hawkins? Because you know, I Josie and Pussycats one of my first favorite cartoons. Right. And you know, I love it. I still one of my favorite songs ever is a song off that show called Inside Outside Upside Down. I, I just wonder how many people actually know the theme song theme song to Gem and the Holograms, but the outrageous. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, so I like so I'm I just start I get in an argument with someone. Sorry, it's just being pussycats. So someone comes back and says, No, it's Gem and Holograms. How can how could you possibly say anything? Like Gem and Holograms are awesome and 
Josie Puskin is so old. And it's like, <laughs> so, the, so I'm going back and forth. It's just like arguing with this person for like, I don't know, 15 minutes or something. Just like getting, I'm getting like more irate. And it's like, you can't possibly tell me Gem and Holograms are more. Josie and Pussycats are the best band ever. <laughs> best cartoon band ever, man. They're even better than the Fat Albert band. Who are you kidding? You know? <laughs> but it just dawns on me. I'm, this is probably like a 12 year old girl in Poughkeepsie, New York, <laughs> that I'm having this intense argument with. And this is not worth my time. And that's sort of, and not that I've been perfect, but I just, from that point on, I just don't get into argument. And I just walk away. Because there's just actually one I saw the other day. Well, just yesterday. I was almost about to post it. No, no. <laughs> it's a James Bond thing. And they're saying, oh, no. They're going, couldn't, if, if Judy Dench was M for Pierce Brosnan and Daniel Craig, couldn't Ray, Ray Fiennes be Dan? M for Daniel Craig and whoever the next person is, and I was gonna just go back. No, bad oh, idea. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, bad idea. You need to start fresh. They have to completely start fresh. And also, my I don't think M should not be a well-known actor because then M gets his own subplot or his her own subplot when Judy Dutch was M. And that just it's no longer James Bond movie, it's an MI6 movie. Right. Exactly. That's, that's been that's been my one of my criticisms about the James Bond films the last 15 years or so. But anyway, <laughs> but I didn't post. I... <laughs> <laughs> of course, there's a good chance that person might be listening to this podcast now and saying, yeah, we'll, we'll find out soon if I get an email. <laughs> and if you, yeah, if you get any, or you, if, yeah. if you have a comment section. Then we'll... <laughs> yeah, I do. I do have a comment well, section. Ray Fine should come back because he's, <laughs> <laughs> because he's a great actor. Also, at the, well, I will point out that I can't shut up. <laughs> that at the end of No Time to Die, Ray Fiennes M's either should have been fired or should have resigned because of the horrible things he did in the movie. But never. Yeah, that, that that's a very good point. That's something we've never actually, you know, even you know, even they've re, you know, even back in Goldeneye when they kind of replied saying, "Oh yeah, M's always a different person." And I heard the new M's a woman, which was when the first time Judy Dench played it. But at the same time, it's like, yeah, I think after all that, M I be like, okay, we need another new M. This guy is uh, get him out of here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Par- Parliament it, would be against it. Let's say that because this is the thing that I'm gonna. I don't know if you're aware of this, but Judy Dench is playing different characters in the Pierce Brosnan movies and the Daniel Craig movies. Right, right. She's not the same person, although she's the same role played by the same actress. So that confused things, and in retrospect, they should they should have recast M. Right, right. Royale, but you know. You mean Martha? <laughs> okay, and all the James Band fans are like right now saying, "Yeah, Ryan, Jeff, you tell them." And a lot of people are like, "No, no, no." This... <laughs> exactly. Yeah. When do we get the Spider Girl hooks? <laughs> That's why this is a longer podcast. <laughs> but you want to talk about No Way Home, right? <laughs> yeah, back to No Way Home. You know, and uh, I, I just I saw it. Revealed I saw that. It. Pat- that Pat Sajak, after a puzzle on Celebrity Family Feud, actually didn't know who Benedict Callebach was. <laughs> so, I, I, and that was so funny. Ah, okay. All the actors who were like the older, were like the former child actors in this, were like looking at him and laughing. <laughs> oh, so, I, I saw it No Way Home again the other, just the other night. 
Oh, nice. Just Thursday night because it's for the second time. And I think I liked it even better. I'm going to say, I think my favorite Spider-Man, I think favorite Spider-Man movie is always going to be Spider-Man 2 because I love the purity of the Tobey Maguire, Sam Raimi movies because they're, they're Spider-Man movies. They're not, they're not trying to work in references to Iron Man. Right, right. That's a podcast episode. We'll, we'll head over to the Spider-Man crawl space uh, to talk about that. <laughs> I know George is laughing right now. All it's all. So, and just, and I, for me, Spider, Spider-Man 2 is the best super superhero movie because it's the best movie about the best superhero. Right. Simple as that. But No Way Home, I think what I love about this movie is that it kind of rewards me for being a Spider-Man fan. I'm in agreement. And, yeah, it's like it's it it's it's a movie that with a few minor quibbles, I think it does fan service the right way. It gives the fans what they want without patronizing them or kind of going to. There's like a little bit. I don't think we needed to hear that Electro got fell into a vat of electric deals twice but right. fact, I'd, rather, I'd rather forget that altogether thank you very much uh, you, you can even tell you know jamie fox when he was doing that response was kind of like i know yeah we shouldn't fall into things <laughs> <laughs> which was uh, sadly to say was technically the origin from the spectacular spider-man cartoon it was yeah, that's how I don't it remember. Happened. Yeah, and the he fell into a tank. Because I, I love what a I, lot of people did was like technically they took the plot from the spectacular Spider-Man card. I don't remember because I love the spectacular Spider-Man. And yeah, that's what it was. I've gone through it twice. Yeah, they and were modifying things, and it was actually early things when because Kurt Connors was a scientist in charge because he was doing the early work with the lizard serum and everything. Right. Right. And that was that was the thing, too. And when the writers were talking about, it, they're like, yeah, but there's a problem here, too. I mean, we can't just say he gets struck by lightning and, you're, and he's got powers. We actually had to give a much more scientific explanation and everything else, too. So that's why they kind of did that, you know, just like oh, I have to look at that again. Yeah, but you'll have to do because like, I remember, I mean, it was just like with the shocker being, you know, one of the enforcers who became a supervillain and people were talking. That's like, but if you think about it, technically, he was a small time guy and it moved up to things. So they're like, oh, you're right. That in a way that origin does make sense you know, no, but, you know I, I, well, the herman schultz fans were kind of mad i think you know getting a little sidetracked here but spectacular spider-man a lot of the updates you know the, the it was like that show is just really amazing for the way it stayed very faithful to the early lee ditko mm-hmm. feeling of spider-man while updating it here and there the only thing i did not like was them turning craven into a weird lion but yeah and, I, and that was based <clears throat> off the ultimate spider-man comics was it okay because i, I kind of yeah. i checked out of cartoon, you know tried to explain it too there's even a meme that was posted <clears throat> recently on reddit of all places where they were actually showing like why he did that it was like yeah you may be a hunter but you're here and he's like no it's like well yeah he's like okay yeah this guy knows the hunt and everything but he's going against the guy who has ability and the writers even says like you have a guy <clears throat> who's going against has the abilities of a you know spider or ability strength and acrobatics in the spider sense and you're really telling me he couldn't mop the floor with a guy who just thinks of himself as just a you know a hunter in the jungle it was it's like that's like that's one storyline that doesn't as they said didn't work in 2002 versus you know 1965 and the reason why they made that whole you know genetics and wear line which is actually what Brian Bendis's excuse was too back in oh 
Spider-Man too. So it's not like I didn't understand where they were going with it, but you know, stuff like that. No, I, think, I, I mean, understood the, the, the 90s Spider, but... Spider-Man actually perfectly did Craven actually explained everything from his abilities to why he was, uh, you know, oh, I'd have to, I don't remember the nineties cartoon all that well, uh, but yeah, I just, you know, he drank a jungle potion. Come on. Yeah, exactly. Which, you know, even the current clone version of him talks about that. Anyhow, yeah, we're all getting nerdy here. Anyhow. So, you know, as we originally were talking about with like No Way Home, it's like same thing. And, you know, I ended up missing a portion of it due to a uh, situation that happened in the movie theater and I caught the rest of it. and I was able to oh, do my stuff. Okay. too. But, you know, I agreed. I mean, it was it was. And I also at the same time, as as many people said too, the ending really was pushing Peter to be his own person. And, we're, you know, it's, well, yeah, it's, it's been a couple of months too. most people know what happens in the movie, too, and everything else, too. But I think that was the one thing was it was actually trying to get it from being Iron Boy to Peter right. Parker coming to his own as an adult. And in a way, it was also complimenting you know when steve deco you know left and peter graduated from high school back in issue 36 5 36 of him going to college and as they say stepping into a bigger world Mm -hmm. i yeah because as much as i liked the tom holland movies the the first two it there was always like the asterisk that but this isn't really spider-man to me because spider-man's his own person he didn't need iron man to give him a super suit i mean but like my great about the first movie and i was glad they didn't stick with it because it was you know the costume talked to him because you know the costume is doing a lot of the work I'm like no peter parker is enough of a hero he doesn't need the costume to help him out right uh and but the the talking costume what was her name sarah it wasn't sarah was it i i'd have to look that up actually it was um, Jennifer. Jennifer. Yeah, it was, it was Jennifer, Jennifer Connelly was the voice. Yeah, she was the voice. I just can't remember what it was called. Let me see. Right. AI voices. Let's look that up. Voices in Spider Man. See, so I gotta look. Like, so I gotta look that all up. But so, but that was very popular with the audience. The talking. Oh, cost. Karen, 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 Karen. Okay. Uh, well, now they can't use that name. Now. No, they really can't. Anyway, I love Jennifer Connelly. <laughs> no, no. Every, if, that was very popular. The audiences loved the care and everyone him talking to the costume. It's like, eh, okay, I don't like that. But I thought, oh, great. Now they're going to carry this forever because it's popular. But to their credit, they dropped it. Right. So I salute them for because usually when something's popular with the audience, they they run with it. You know, they, that's Jaws was popular. Jaws, the henchman with the metal teeth and the Oh yeah, the Spy Love Me was popular, so they brought him back in Moonraker and made a joke out of him. But exactly, I that's mean, so. I, yeah, so that's why I salute the filmmakers for dropping something that was very popular. But you know, my criticism was always that he was too beholden to Iron Man, too right, but too, too much of a puppy dog around Tony Stark, and too too much trying too hard to win Tony Stark's approval all the time. And that's like, Peter, come on, Peter Parker's a better hero than Tony Stark. Come on. Right. And guy who's an Iron Man fan too. <laughs> so, and in this movie at the end, and again, I salute them because they, now he's really Spider-Man. So I'm looking forward to the next, next movie. And he's even more of a, and I, I, don't know if I want to use the word loser, but loner because he has no friends. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, Peter Parker usually had 
friends, even, you know, not so much in the early Ditko stories, but, you know, they, they develop, but, you know, he didn't have male friends, I think, until Harry Harry, Not Osborne, really. Harry was Harry was really considered his first male friend. I mean, the girls. Yeah, yeah, there's Brady Brandt and Liz Allen. And I always considered, you know, Liz was a friend with her, but you know, it was the classic. They got in the high school, and it wasn't cool to be hanging around a nerd like Peter versus right. Betty Brandt, even though she was older, and understood and accepted that too. And you know, and later on, like with Sally and the Untold Tales of Spider-Man too, who was kind of in between kind of areas too. But you know, if you look mm-hmm. at about it, that's another thing that really separated Spider-Man around was. Peter Peter Parker was, you know, especially in the 60s, is his girls were his friends were more girls. They were not guys, even the guys that were similar to Peter, you know, yeah, Harry came about, but the guys, you know, Peter didn't have really guy friends, even in flashbacks of the old St- Steve Dico and even later on by other writers. Uh-huh. Even Jerry Conway talked about, you know, Peter did not have a lot of friends as a young kid because of how he was seen. He's like, Oh, there's a little orphan Peter, you know. Yeah. Why do I want to hang out with him? His best friend's his uncle. Right, I think I, this is like me within like just about every millions of other Spider-Man fans got into Spider-Man because Peter Parker was someone I related to very much. Yeah, exactly. And that's now you bring that up. That's another thing I trade I share with Peter Parker. I have a lot more. I actually always from like high school going on up, I have more female friends than male friends. Yeah, same here. And I'll have to mention some of them I stay in contact with too. I mean, online or the occasional get together are still women. You know what I mean? But uh, same thing. It's like yeah. coworkers. Like I'll talk with the guy coworkers, but I socialize with a lot of the women more than mm-hmm. anybody else. And you know, maybe because it's you know either it's parenting or just you know similar teaching styles. That's kind of why we get along more. I'm not sure why. Versus, hey, did you watch the football game? Hey, how about what happened to the yeah, you know, the Forty Niners? <laughs> it's like um um, <laughs> I can't relate. <laughs> that was like you know, Paul. I think one of my favorite Spider-Man writers of all time is Paul Jenkins. Oh yeah, because he Paul, Paul's an awesome guy too. I've met him. Many Paul, I've I actually had a really long talk with him at uh, C2E2. Probably the last time I went to C2E2. That's one of the big comic book conventions in Chicago. Oh yeah, I've been there myself. Yeah, people don't know it. We've been. Oh, there. I met you there. That's the f- oh, that's right. We did. That's, that's the only time I've we've ever been. Yeah, face really face in face. person. Yeah. But like the one thing. They had like a he did a story with with Peter Parker with Uncle Ben taking Peter Parker to the Mets games when he was which a kid. One of my oh. favorite, which is one of my favorite Paul Jenkins stories, true. It, 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 I like that story, but at the same time, like Peter Parker at a baseball game. <laughs> but I don't know. I've, I've been to a couple Brewers games, a couple Cubs. Right. Games. Same, yeah. I've been to a couple Brewers myself. So, yeah, <laughs> even though the Cubs and Peter and I will have that argument till the end of time. Speaking of uh, <laughs> sports teams. That's yeah. But um, yeah, I, I, it's really interesting story story with that too. And I mean, we were talking about kind of the service. Like I said, it felt like Spider Man moving on to his own and kind of you know, as you said, working on to that, which is really interesting because you know that movie actually opens about one of our favorite topics, which you know I think you ha- we all have both a personal connection to, and uh, yeah. Spider Girl. Yeah, you know? I I will tell you when I first time I saw the movie, first time I saw No Way Home, I was like hoping, I mean, oh, please, 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 please let one of the post-credit scenes be, you know, Tobey Maguire swinging back into his apartment and Mary Jane's there and they're married and you, and they're just talking for a little bit and then they turn around and there's a reveal of Mayday. Right. <laughs> that's, exactly. that's the big reveal. Like, like, how are you doing, honey? Like, And I 
thought you know, maybe as a you know, baby cares, but then well, if you're gonna actually want to set up Spider Girl, then she's got to she have to be older. But anyway, so that's There's been enough time to pass to actually make that make sense, right? But I was just that honestly, that's like like I was like, oh, please, 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 I want to see this, I want to see this, I want to see this. And of course, it didn't happen. Yeah. Now, now I've read somewhere and take it with a grain of salt that that was one of not not necessarily setting up Mayday, but it was supposed to be a scene with Toby McGuire going back home and handing out Christmas presents to the family. So who's in the family? We don't know. But. Exactly. Ah. Yeah, exactly. But, but, you know, but whenever possible, I would be on without, not on my own page, not on my own Facebook page, because I was still not, didn't want to give away the spoilers of the movie, but commenting on Facebook or Twitter whenever there's somebody saying there should be a new there should be a new Tobey Maguire movie there should be a new Andrew Garfield movie there should be a spider like yeah they, they need to do spider girl they need to <laughs> they need to be doing a spider girl movie that's what they should be doing yeah and I, so that's when I thought it was funny because a week or so ago now I forget what the source was but someone said this sets up a spider girl movie it's like yeah someone besides me saying this and i will tell you that whenever i put a comment says i want to see a spider girl movie that comment would get like 50 likes or 50 upwards of 50 likes which is something i've never seen <laughs> i know that's like, like whoa i actually posted something everybody agrees with oh so, yeah so yeah so i you know i'd love it and i remember my my niece this was way back when when the probably when the second Spider-Man movie came out. So, so she'd be like probably 13, 14. She's saying they need to do one more movie and then it's Peter Parker and Mary Jane get married and then they can make Spider-Girl movies. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, absolutely right. <laughs> it's just like the joke that's actually in when uh, in Spider-Girl when, uh, when when Mary Jane looks over at uh, Tylee Ryan, uh, Ryan, Riley. Yeah, they just you know, and said, yeah, like, just, right, it does look like Tobey Maguire. And it's like, it's both a nod and a joke in its own same <laughs> situation. So, but we do have to, if if this comes to pass, and I, that'd be not likely, but I'd still love to see it. I mean, it's possible. But if they did make a Spider-Man movie with Tobey Maguire and Kirsten Dunst, then that then it kind of sets up a sort of be careful what you wish for scenario with Spider-Girl fans because if you have Tobey Maguire and Kirsten Dunst in the movie, then it's going to be about the family, right? And it's not going to be faithful to the Spider-Girl comics where Spider-Girls most of the relationships were with their high school friends. And then later on with the other superheroes and Peter and Mary Jane were important, but they were mostly in the background. Right. It, you know, and, that, and that's an interesting point too. You know, we were just talking about Peter and everything, but you know, what was so interesting, especially people wondering spider girl is a, was based off the uh, what if one Oh five, where we actually had the daughter of Peter and Mary Jane, who's in high school, who discovers that, you know, her father was Spider-Man and she has inherited his powers and plus, you know, learned some other things along the ways. But, you know, it was so interesting too. I remember when Tom DeFalco and Ron Friends were, were originally doing the story was, you know, you had such an opposite character of who Peter was in high school, considering it was at Midtown and Flash Thompson right. basketball coach. But what was so interesting, I thought was such an interesting thing is even though, you know, Mays was a complete reversal of Peter in high school, especially because the times changed and whatnot. But I think it was really interesting is like May is known. She is known as an athlete, but she's still not the super popular girl, but you don't see her struggling with what 
Peter went through. And then and another right. said, not seeing what Mary Jane struggled through in high school since she came from a very, you know, bad background herself. And as you know, in the most recent issue of, you know, the, you know, Black Cat Mary Jane series where she says, I was the bad girl. And here you have a daughter who's got, you know, the combined things of the two of them, but yet she's in a as I, as I said mm-hmm. later on in the series was she's in a happy middle. And, you know, I think right. Malcolm even explained like, yes, it is a happy middle for her. Right. Uh, she still is exposed to the things of growing up in the high school life. Uh, Tom and Ron, and I guess Tom and Pat. Yeah. At that time when Pat it very deliberately made it so that me Mayday was friends with both jocks and science kids. Exactly. So she is. So yes, that puts her right in the middle. And, uh, Let's see if I, I hope I phrase this correctly. What Tom said that they both learn with great power comes great responsibility. But Peter learned that Peter said when he fails to act, people die. But whereas Mayday learned that when she acts, people live. Right. She was the opposite of it. I remember that. Interview. So yeah. So she's so she's a more positive character. Right. I mean, even in What If 105, when she fights Normie Osborne, the grandson of of, Norm, of Norman Osborne, the Green Goblin, if you guys are all wondering what we're talking about, yeah. too, is she, you know, after she beats him, he is like dazed and confused. He almost gets hit by a semi truck and she actually saves him. You know, this guy right. tried murdering her parents and everything else and was, you know, and her friends at one point, too. He, he, he saves her, him. And, and she realizes right in that moment that when she acts, that people live, which was such an amazing. Yeah. And that's this also goes back to No Way Home, and that's one of the things I love about this movie is that his drive, at least for the Spider-Man's drive at the beginning of the movie, Peter Parker, is that he wants to save the supervillains' lives. Right. He doesn't want to send them back to die. He's like, we have to save them. We can't let them die. And that's in today's in the filmmaking of today's world, that's pretty revolutionary to have a hero who's trying to save the life of the villain. In this case, five villains, but right. But yeah, that was, that was always something I always found out as well. Interesting too. I mean, even like I said, if I even believe it or not, I think one thing one people said really interesting, like uh, and this will go way back, is like in Star Trek three when Kirk is fighting um, um, Christopher Lloyd's uh, Klingon villain. At one point, they get knocked off and he's fallen off the cliff. And Kirk actually, at one point, despite this guy basically led to the death of his son and all right. everything, actually puts his hand out to save him until, you know, he basically double crosses him. And then Kirk finally says, Fine, I gave you that chance and I've had enough of you. And, he, you know, he go, you know, he falls off the right. cliff. But that's a grand example. Even then, that was unheard of. Even critics say, too, it's like, I like the fact that even after all of a sudden, the guy basically responds for the death of his son. At one point, he shows how human he is by saying, here, I'll help you. And, you know, he mm-hmm. betrays that trust. And I think that was something that was very telling, both in No Way Home, even at the end, too, even when Toby, not the good thing, but even Toby McGuire's reaction, too, when uh, Tom Holland's, you know, Peter Parker almost actually gives in and says, you know, fine, they need to die. Yeah. Yeah. That's, <laughs> it, it's because um, I, I like, first of all, I, I'll, I'll admit that when I first saw this movie, I think I had tears in my eyes almost every second Toby McGuire's on screen. Uh, but I like that he was like the older brother. Right. That that was the dynamic. And when Ned says, Yeah, hey, let's go kick some ass, and then he then Toby McGuire, let's go save some ass. <laughs> so exactly. <laughs> that, that that was a great which line. Is, which is Spider-Man, you know, that's 
Yeah, I I remember there's a you know thing not to get into thing, but I remember there's one there's one scene. This is actually back uh, during the clone saga one time. He's like, yeah, and one thing here's I'm going to send you to hell, and Peter turns around like, okay, now we're not going to hell, everybody. At least not why I'm on job. <laughs> but it's like such a great moment where he you know not only you know says something and swears, but it's basically is like mm-hmm. completely reverses the situation where it's not only comical, but it's like that's Spider Man. <laughs> so yeah, I I have to agree with that and same thing with Spider Girl. You know, and it's so funny with Spider Girl. You know, you and I, you know, speaking of the back when we talk about the message boards and the original message boards too. But you know, I, I I have to say, Jeff, you kind of um did something I don't think a lot of fans actually got through with a Spider-Man book, especially in the days of the early internet and even later on too, with the, even like the pre-social media days. You know, there is a you 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 actually have left a mark on Spider-Girl that I don't think many fans get a chance to do. You know, what what does that feel like <laughs> with that? Uh, what specifically are you well just that you know you know because because you know it, it's like you know there you know uh, the character talked about you know jark over uh as a certain character in spider-man <laughs> yeah that wasn't well that wasn't me name Wes. you know <laughs> i know it wasn't you but at the same time is well I, I don't know because i i i've because uh, john kerner who's darker jarker it's actually yeah, it's yeah. supposed to be pronounced he told me that the name west weston is supposed to be a tribute to me but i've never heard tom or ron say that so i don't i don't know if it's true right and i and i know ron and tom have never really commented too and i do talk to ron friends <clears throat> quite a few times actually online too because i've been such a big supporter of the spider oh yeah I, i'm yeah, and the right project project so you know we, we we've talked to them but mm-hmm. you know it, it's interesting too when you kind of get think about and like you said you don't know if it's true i mean that was something i want to throw out too it's like do we know it's true or was it something else you know i don't know then i didn't really want to like yeah like, hey you know i'm spider girl's boyfriend <laughs> <laughs> and that cat that showed up is really jasper now <laughs> well, that was before jasper's time i know <laughs> it was actually i'm saying jasper's not that old <laughs> nope but yeah, I, I think it's a really interesting situation. So I don't, yeah, I, I, I don't know if that's true. I was, I was curious because when he first appeared, you, you can always tell when a, a comic character is based on a real person because there's something about the way it's drawn. It's, it's almost in a little bit more detailed. Right. And he looked like when Wes first showed up, he looked like a friend of mine who's actually well, his name's Bill Leff, and he's the host of the cartoon show now because he, he was a radio host in Chicago for many years. Right. Now he hosts the cartoon show on uh, MeTV. But it looked like him. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, I even showed him a picture because I think, I don't I'm, I kind of, do you know we're on Friends at all? Because this looks like you. And he goes, yeah, it does look like me. But but it turned out it was it was based on a real person, but a friend of Ron is not not bill left right right tune in tune in with me fame so yeah it's kind of like how mark bagley when he redesigned scream mimi into songbird melissa gold is based off uh, uh his version of his niece is what he mm. he's told me many times and even joked is like now she's the mother of two and blah 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 yeah. and I, the mark about i think it was about four years ago last time i talked to him at c2e2 speaking of which so you know i i think it's interesting too but you know i and then that's where it really kind of comes to you know something like spider girl you know and us being fans from very early on and considering how it's lived on despite all i the- i bought i bought what if 105 when it was first on newsstands 
and I regret I never got my hands on it. And I also saw Star Wars on opening day. Yeah, and Star Wars was out a year before I was born, but yet I saw it in the theaters. I'm a very special person. They re-released it a month before Empire Strikes Back. Oh, yeah. Uh I was the two-year-old who saw Star Wars in the movie theaters and then saw Empire Strikes Back a a year later, and everybody's like, well, you were so little. I was like, but I remember how awesome it was. Wow. Sabers, and I remember the probe droid landing and somebody in the movie theater at the old Carol Cinema saying, nice landing, idiot. No, really. I, and people looked at me like, how do you remember that? It's like, because that's not something a two-year-old usually hears in a movie theater. Like, yeah, nice landing, idiot. <laughs> Especially in 1980. Well, you don't usually remember things from when you're two, period. I know. And the truth is, if people think about it, too, like, what did you really remember about that movie? I was like, besides Luke, you know, Darth Vader being Luke's father and them, how they stopped the AT-ATs. I, I still, t- I, like, I remember none, like, parts with Yoda, but if, like, if I had a flashback there, especially years later with Return of the Jedi, I said, you know, I don't remember how they got into the asteroids. Still, you know, watched it on VHS. Mm-hmm. And I, well, that's how they got into the, because I was like, I remember them and I remember Boba Fett and blah, blah, blah. But some parts of me were just like, wait, what? Huh, what? Or like, I say, hey, that's the guy from Sesame Street, which was Billy D. Williams. So, <laughs> oh, I thought you meant Yoda. No, well, no, I knew I recognized the voices, Grover. I yeah, yeah. yeah, it sounds like yeah. Grover, and my like mom Grover. said said Ryan, it's the same actor. I went, oh, <laughs> so I, could, I I I for years actually thought Yoda was going to show up on Sesame Street every time I saw Grover <laughs> would Frank Oz. Hmm. And then later on, I found out he's also the voice of Bert. And I went, wow, how does he do all those voices? <laughs> like I could, I could I could make the comparison between Grover and and Yoda, but I could not yeah. figure out that you know that it was um you know bert was frank oz but i yet i knew ernie and kermit were jim henson so you know go figure yeah. i could hear the similarities in the voices even with the main distinct characters but you know i some voice actors it's like it's like frank welker it's like if you listen to frank welker doing all his voices over there and my son's in the watching the old uh 3d uh garfield animated series from 12 years ago which frank welker was in there it's like i recognize frank welker's various voices tyler eventually doesn't get it he's like like wait that's the same yeah. guy. i said yeah that's the same guy i said tyler that's this guy and that's like and then i was i got in a weird bender last year watching the old bionic six and frank welker did five of the characters and, and, and thing but at the same time i was like yep that's megatron yep that's this guy hey that's chopper from you know from 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 the trollkins from the 1982 series it's like i it's like when somebody's been around long enough you recognize their voices <laughs> yeah I, um because i'm a big animaniacs fan and now i can pick out rob paulson's voice oh, even yeah. when he's Rob Paulson and uh, Maurice LaMarche, I can pick out their voices. And um, I can't think of her name who does the voice of Dot, but oh. I, I can pick her out in a heartbeat. Like when I hear the voice, like, oh, it's you definitely. Know, and she's returning as Babs Bunny for the HBO Max relaunch series. So I'm like, oh, oh Babs is returning everybody. I should remember. That's like one of my highlights of being a, a reporter, feature writer. Is I, did, I did a story on Animaniacs when really like when they first launched. And that. Uh, and the, the three voices were going to be at the Warner Brothers store in Woodfield Mall. I think I remember that, too, because we were my mom was wondering if because my brother, you know, at that time when Animakes came out, he was barely five. He and he thought she thought it'd be really cool. And she's like, well, Ryan, you're going to acting. You you watch the show, too. And I said, oh, that'd be very cool. And it just never happened, unfortunately. So I did. Uh, I, I interviewed them before uh, the guy does wacko. Mm hmm. And that was actually yeah. one of his first main voice works too. It was, it, yeah. He wasn't there because I think there was a death in his family. But uh, Rob Paulson and Tress McNeil, sorry, Tress yeah, McNeil. Tress McNeil, yeah. So, so basically, I had like a breakfast interview with them, and that was just that 
it's like one of the happiest interviews I've ever had because I like started singing, singing <laughs> along with Tress McNeil. Like, oh yeah, I love the song about Magellan. And we both start singing, Ooh, oops, Magellan. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. And then, you know, I told Rob Paulson that, you know, Yakko had become a hero of mine. And he goes, and he just like goes right into the voice. I like you too, Jeff. I'm like, and I had that on tape. So I was like, <sighs> should have him saying are you thinking about buying a honda <laughs> <laughs> that and, and i is knocking <laughs> and i once interviewed pierce brosnan on my birthday so james bond wished me a happy birthday so oh was, wow yeah you, you got me beat there my, my biggest thing is when mark hamill actually liked something i said about mystery science theater 3000 actually wished me a happy birthday too on twitter and i was just like my life is oh made. yeah and I've been trying, I've been, I've been emailing, I've been trying to get him for like an episode on here, like for the big 100, but I don't think it's happened. Not that I blame him. I mean, Mark's a busy guy. Yeah. <laughs> Mark, if you're hearing this right now, I, I, I'm not mad at you. Relax. <laughs> but anyhow. Oh. Okay, so let's kind of get it. Why, why did you, when Spider Girl first came out, why did you like Spider Girl? I think what, and this is, and this is a very true story because I mean, especially when I think about the um, end of the clone saga and actually Tom DeFalco's writing duties too, um, believe it or not, there was an old webs, um, there was a, there was a website, um, it did, a, it did Monday morning comics. He got the comics early on Monday morning. He always had a review. I cannot think of what name of it was too. And um, I missed what if, and a lot of people were, and they were talking about the Spider-Man uh, message boards. So I went up and I was, believe it or not, at the Chicago Wizard World Comic Con in 1998. And lo and behold, who did I run into but Bob Harris at the time? Oh, interesting. And Bob was actually promoting Spider Girl. He actually gave me one of his press releases. Wait a minute. Wait. No, no, this is true. Marvel this- was promoting Spider Girl? Yeah. And here's what. Oh, my God. Yeah, and, and, it, and it was a combination, too, because he was also promoting the original, the first relaunch of Spider-Man in 1998. They were Howard uh, Mackey and John Mita Jr. He actually handed me one of the proof press releases for uh, Spider-Girl 1 and 2, and that's actually why uh, Crazy 8 became my favorite Spider-Girl villain. So after that, I just jumped on the book and I started buying it right afterwards, and I never stopped. But And I had Tom uh, sign issue 1, and I got Ron, uh, not Ron, but Pat later on to sign issue 1, too, and it's actually frame downstairs and people know and you know i sent you the information it's kind of public knowledge i have now a signed copy of the what if spider girl signed by both tom and ron now with the original battle cover now which is like my pride and joy of my spider girl collection and i got a lot of good stuff down there but after that i started reading it and i started really liking it because the reviewer of the comic one too I remember too, also how much he liked it, but he was so worried. He was, and I was kind of in the agreement too, because I actually had liked Tom DeFalco's writing when I was still a young kid reading Spider-Man in the eighties before I got out of comics for seven years and came back in 94. And it was so interesting was it felt like old school Spider-Man and it felt like it made sense. And it wasn't loser. Peter actually was Peter and Mary Jane actually having a happy life. I didn't feel like there was a marriage issue. And the villains felt like classic villains, not like, and I'm really this, and I'm a dark, you know, emo guy. It was actually, you know, crazy eight to Mr. Nobody felt like classic Spider-Man villain. So as a result, I felt like I had gotten a Spider-Man book that wasn't really about Spider-Man, but that legacy of why Spider-Man mannered. And then of course at the, at the time too, I was, I was 
I was a junior in college. So as I say, I was in that in between 19 years, but not early adults. And I could relate to me because it, I, like, I felt like Peter Parker growing up, like you said, like I could identify it. I felt more like me as a college student because I could identify kind of being friends with that, kind of having that piece too, where now you're in that in-between stage. And I related to her stories much better in 1998 um, as a 20-year-old th- than I did with Peter Parker at that time, which, yeah. I think, you know, when I started reading it, my two favorite areas of Spider-Man are the 60s and the 80s. Right. And this just hit me as being the perfect combination of 60s Spider-Man and 80s Spider-Man with, you know, the next generation character. And I think I related to me mostly because, like, I, you know, I've been, like, if related, I've always, like, thought of Peter Parker like as a spiritual brother since I was, you know, like... In, since grade school, basically. So, so I kind of regarded her as the daughter of an old friend. Right. And also, in this kind of, when the main line Spider-Man books, whenever they were like on a downtrend or just weren't that good, there seemed to be a, a book that came along that, rekindled the classic spider-man and that that was like the book you read that like kept your hopes up even though even so untold tales of spider-man yeah by kurt busick and, and pat olive came out during the depths of the clone saga right so that's like oh yeah these this is what spider-man is supposed to be and spider-girl was yeah was kind of like the authentic feeling spider-man to me when the, the mainstream mainline Spider-Man books were dealing with the aftershock of the clone saga and they were still trying to find their footing. And I mean, I actually asked Tom this, Tom DeFalco this once is like, I thought the books were actually, the Spider-Man books were actually getting better at one point. And then all of a sudden they, they announced the reboot with John Byrne. Right. Which sent it back into, you know, yeah, I agree. I mean, it, and it really did. And he, he just said, yeah, well, John Byrne was the hot guy at the time. So Marvel's thought this was the opportunity to boost sales and try to, you know, pick up Spider-Man again. Although I thought Spider-Man was at that point kind of slowly getting made. I think that is that the point where Paul Jenkins was starting yeah, because he had come up because you know Howard Mackey was having some health and related issues and he uh-huh. couldn't just do the two issues anymore. So he kind of fell back with amazing. And of course, you know, Paul took over Spectacular, which was doing very good. And I know what led to, you know, J. Michael Stravinsky taking over there with issue, you know, later on it would amazing too, is kind of, was kind of like in one way as they had seen that, you know, and, and here's the thing too, like with John Byrne and everything else too, if it wasn't for John Byrne, I, I don't think I would ever been a fan of Superman and I would not have had Metallo as my favorite Superman villain. So, you know, I'll show a shot up to John Byrne on that one too, versus I don't, really like his spider-man i really don't even though i've loved his art for years Mm -hmm. but 
I, I think that was where they kind of tried this and they found out it just did not work. And then, you know, you had changes too. I mean, Bob Harris, as we had talked about earlier, was fired from Marvel as he right. and John Quesada was brought in, which is a story for another time. But <laughs> yeah. what was going on and everything, you just saw that it didn't work. And one thing is, too, as I stopped reading Spider-Man several times on and off in that time, but Spider-Girl, I stuck with it. And, you know, I even went back on and picked up the other, you know, spinoff titles like Anex and um, Oh, yeah. And I liked Anex. I really did like Anex because it felt like a very early, it felt like a, a, a kind of a Roger Stern early. era um, mm. with not as much as the drama, even though it got there towards the end of its run. And I think the Anex um, Avengers Next, which was something that's being talked about on the Make My Mayday podcast right now, really kind of jumped that where that was like, and this is like the Kurt Busiek era of, of Avengers in MC2. But J2 is one of those series too, which I got into it later on. And I thought it was just a fun series. And that's when I kind of realized too, also the reason why I started reading more DC in the late 90s, especially with Justice Society and Stargirl was there was fun about the comics again. It wasn't just dark, gloomy drama. And it's not that we needed right. like and right. everybody. And, oh, and we punched the bad guys. Oh, look, here's a giant robot. Spider-Man's funny. Are we having fun? It was just like, no, I think there needed to be a better balance of the fun and the drama. And Spider-Girl got dramatic at times. I mean, come on, the girl that fell to earth is probably one of our favorite yeah. issues mm -hmm. in that entire run, as well as even the crime master storyline where that later on went on or bitter frost, which is, extremely very dark story and yet you feel and you feel so sorry for the bad guy but at the same time is unfortunately she is a also a subject of what happens with people who are abused like that they become their worst enemies those to those they were persecuted against or oppressed with so but i think that was one thing is spider girl knew where to do the fun like it was a classic like i said 60s to like you know 80s spider-man but also like to stay in the now too with relevant storylines as well too you know everything from bullying to clicks to you know the jocks to you know you know even mayday's relationships made sense in a long port like even with her and brad douglas and then i mean not brad douglas sorry brad i'm not talking about but uh brad's character and him being found out to be unfortunately prejudice against mutants which was like kind of a shock too which right. is, does that does happen like i had an old girlfriend later on i found out she was very prejudiced against a certain thing that made me go like holy cow i'm glad we never later on you know ended up together because i could not have stood that and i think that was one thing is spider girl knew one to be fun and knew one to be serious and it knew one to really get into what made it class i mean the gang war is also probably one of my favorite spider girl stories too and that dealt with the major spider you know spider girl's first death that she felt responsible right for, even though it was one of her enemies who would have been more than happy to you know let her die yeah spider girls felt like the comic books i i loved reading when i was first discovered spider uh not just Spider-Man, but comic books, and you know, because it had the serial storyline, which the continuing soap opera going on in the background, in between all the super villain battles. And I'm kind of to this think back. It's Tom was kind of able to do his own thing, and he was not beholden to doing what was happening at the time, where every every comic story was built was just told as a six issue arc so it could be collected as a trade paperback right that's exactly a year later yeah and he just and you know there's things that maybe if they had done this spider girl would have been more popular i always heard people saying spider girl if spider girl were part of the regular 616 universe she'd be more popular so i don't want spider girl to be part of this no i mean and, I, and, 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 and so she, miles she, morales you know now yeah, yeah and they and he couldn't and she couldn't be included in crossover events, but I, I hated crossover events. And I just, I was glad Spider-Girl was on her own. and wasn't part. It was kind of like one of the things I, I 
didn't like about the Tom Holland movies is because I think Spider-Man is better on his own and not part of the Avengers and not mm-hmm. so like I said I'm like I'm looking forward to the next movie I'm looking forward to what they do with it because they they at the end of no way home they, they, they boy do they set him up as being on his own yeah exactly i mean it's just like too like with uh tom and ron and sal's current project the right project with apex comics you know it feels like it's a comic that still has like that classic feel but it still can be modern enough you know it deals with right. other interference it does with you know how holographical technology has got so advanced and how people are willing to believe you know things that people say when it's not where they don't have evidence of it but also even taking care of uh how other things do with like people getting messed up with contracts and stuff. The second story with the uh, wrestling part of that, of the right project. I mean, when it was all said and done, I said, this feels like a relevant comic. That's fun, but it still makes sense in today's world where you could see it being a movie or a TV series and people would probably eat it up. So it's, it, I, that's the one thing about spider girl. It like, it had that balance. And like, I feel the same right now after reading the right project after, you know, one main book story. Okay. No, I feel bad. I haven't, read that yet when you get a chance i, I say get it and get it too i mean i got it. i know okay. I, I was a contributor on their india in their on their indigo fund on everything so i got it and mm-hmm. so forth but after reading I'm, i'll be doing a little something for some perler bead pieces too which um is fun but it's like you know after i got done right i was like boy i really hope this series really takes off because it's like i i buy it right now as an indie comic i was like nope I, you'd be seeing me do it i'd go to my comic shop and say hey kevin get me signed up here i want the right project no matter what just like we did with the stray you know, with Vito DeSante's book is that, you know, and he's got that third volume coming. Cause it feels like, it feels like the Batman that needs to be a Batman comic without being Batman is like the stray, which is another indie comic too. So, you know, but that's how I felt with the right project. You, you talk about spider girl occasionally getting serious. I don't, and eh, dark. I, I kind of, don't Oh, like and it did. It did. Dark. I mean, one of my favorite issues, I think it was issue 27 is when Normie has her tied to a chair and she doesn't have her powers. Oh yeah. And the entire issue is just her, talking him out of being a villain <laughs> and that's and i'd never seen that in a comic book before the ending is so powerful too and even the aftermath i think right also too even though we saw you know, as i say we you know, couldn't escape the goblin legacy is you know and everything else too but you know i think it was sort of a nice thing it kind of you know tom and you know was able to end that storyline but then he was actually as some people then say like well that story is over and they try to repeat it where he's like no he cook it to a very organic feel and that's another thing like some comics too they want to bring things back because oh it was a popular story but then they don't realize why it was was a popular story. I mean, we know it was with Craven, as we've said throughout the episode about that too. You know, they like, well, Craven's less hot's the best storyline ever. But when he died, I think it's like, unfortunately, that storyline is the reason why he's why he is such a rem- remembered character, and you can't repeat it. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of this. I've the fascination with Gwen Stacy. Yeah, it's you know, it, and I'm not the first person to say that is the only interesting sh- thing she ever did was die. <clears throat> Right. I, and then, like I said, and like I said, when we record, were recording this episode here before an episode, they recently had that talk between Mary Jane and Felicia Harding and her, their beyond one shot. And it was very interesting, like I said earlier, too, about how Mary Jane was, like I said, that bagger, but how they basically explained everything with Gwen. But they said basically, too, is like, I understand why she was actually the she was actually the safe one that was like Peter and worked. And unfortunately, her dying is what kind of made you f- feel like you know you're compared to her all the time i said yeah and i think that was was because even stan lee said at one point like well we kind of treated her as the lowest lane of spider-man and then we killed her <laughs> right and then when because that was before that was a couple a couple of years before i actually started 
Oh yeah, I didn't even know who Gwen Stacy was until I asked. Oh, I know. I, oh, I knew who she was. I knew I who, she, who was she was. She was still always. Oh, she was still talked about. Mm-hmm. I, I I started collecting Spider-Man. I think like around the one sixties of Amazing Spider-Man. The first first two issues I got was a Kingpin two-parter. So mm-hmm. it's like so like 76, 77. And I think didn't the Gwen Stacy death happen in seventy three? I think. Yeah, well, at least what they. So. So it's something that even strangely, I don't. I was aware of. So even though I hadn't read the stories, I knew that Gwen Stacy died by the Green. Green yeah, Goblin. she died by Amazing twenty one twenty one to one twenty two and everything. Right. Like I said, and like I said, I never knew that Norman Osborn had died either as the Green Goblin because, like I said, oh, I comics and I remember Harry Osborn. So to me, I I just never understood that with uh, you know why they were talking about the Green Goblin and the thing when you know and then the you know the nineties cartoon as well as the eighties cartoons it was always Norman Osborn, but you know which was said on several other things like well by then you know even when those shows comes Norman had been gone almost five ten years <laughs> and yet mm-hmm. here they were constantly using him and then of course you know he returned in 1996 and has been around since so it, it's really interesting when you think about that too about those storylines but yeah i mean i mean not to get everything else but that that's always a part too but then again like i said you know uh tom used mind worm and paul jenkins killed the character off in the main spider-man book so you know go fix- i love you know tom paul jenkins was just would pull out the obscure villains and I, I remember one of the times I talked to him, he had a, he wanted to write a hypno hustler story. Oh, and he had the whole story. He even talked. I know. Oh, he's, yeah. Because and I was, was actually like, I would so read that. And in fact, he even talked about, it also runs over to current problems when musicians have with copyright. Exactly. Like, exactly. Because it was supposed yeah. to, because someone had. Pirated uh, music. Yeah. They, they uses a background in, in a hit song. So he, yeah, that was. <laughs> And, and and I hate to say it, that storyline would actually be relevant today. I know that would be like oh. I'd probably have my kids read that Paul Jenkins stories to talk about copyright infringements, even though it's a Spider-Man story. But you know, yeah. I, I I used I used the small you know small deal big deal uh, Mark Wade Mike Ringo Fantastic Four story when talking about copyright laws with the Fantastic mm-hmm. Four, and the kids actually understood it completely. They also understood nepotism because of that storyline. And some people looked at me like, "Why are you having to read a Fantastic Four comic?" And then when they read through it and I explained my lesson, they looked at me like, "That's very relevant." I'm like, "It's relevant even today." And the storyline's now almost 20 years old. Oh man. Okay, everybody. I think you know these, these, these two comic fans who've been drawing on from everything. They're like, let's turn into the Spider-Man episode, Spider-Girl podcast. All of a sudden, <laughs> no Zach, Kelly, Brad, we're, George. We're we're all good. We're sorry. We're, we're sorry. not anybody. And they, I got Kelly and Zach coming on hopefully on a future episodes of these two. And I've had Brad on anyhow. But um, you know, Jeff, this has been actually a lot of fun. I, I yeah. Mean, We've had some tech issues. I know we haven't really talked about a lot of things, but this has been a really amazing time. And like I said, you got two more, you know, you got one book you're finished and another one on the way and people can go buy it. So how can people get in touch with you? Even, even if it's on LinkedIn to wish you a happy work anniversary. Oh, geez. <laughs> and well, I, I, show notes too. <laughs> oh, I don't have those written in front of me. Because <laughs> uh, I got like an author page on Facebook. Right. Oh, I can call it up. Let's see. Yeah, I'm about to say I can read it. I always like having it from the guest board. More, more pointing than the guy. No, I've got it. Okay, here it is. Okay, I've got a website that I have not updated in years, but it's JeffreyWestoff.com. Uh, Twitter, I have two. You can get me at, at JeffreyWestoff, and then there's for my book. It's at new too much, but there's an underscore between the words, so that's. It's at new underscore two underscore much. Instagram, it's 
patreon.com backslash Jeff Westoff because I guess someone else had Jeffrey Westoff. Uh, Facebook, you can look for me as author Jeffrey Westoff. And on LinkedIn, just look up Jeffrey Westoff. Yes. And I, like I said, I have the show notes. And it's really funny, too. Like you just said, like somebody had it. It's like some people always ask me, it's like, Ryan, why is there a seven in between your Twitter handle? Or why did you pick Herc? I said, believe it or not, I tried to go in as Ryan C. Reed and it was taken. I tried going in my old handle, which is still around, which is Ryan 3178. And it was taken. So I ended up saying, I'm going to put a seven in between my eye because it's a lucky number. And everyone's like, well, you know, I had a, I had a, you know, a, a guinea pig named Hercules at the time. So I'm just going to be Herc. You know, we called him Herc, you know, and yeah. like, were you a fan of the Hercules series in the comic? I'm like, oh, yeah. And I've actually always loved Herc. <laughs> but that it has nothing to do with them it's about my guinea pig so, <laughs> so and it's no, in memory of hercules we love you hercules we, we miss you buddy when i first set up the website for for my author account uh, i tried to get the boy who knew too much.com and someone had bought it the week before oh wow and i it's a long story about how, but how I came up with it. I, when I thought about writing the book, I thought I wanted to write a teenage spy novel, but it was like, what to write? Because uh, Alex Ryder is already the teenage James Bond. Can't, didn't want to do that again. Right. There, there's a, there's actually a bunch of books about spy, bunch of series about spy high schools. There's even a couple about spy orphanages. And one thing that's just a cop, that's a, concept i can't really wrap my mind around but there were two i didn't want to do that and it's it's hit me well no one's really done the hitchcock thing no one's really done the story where it's the innocent person thrown into a spy story that like the man who knew too much and as soon as oh the boy who knew too much duh makes sense and then but i go oh someone's used that title someone's used that title and i looked it up and no one had used the title it's 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 the title of an episode of the simpsons the the, the the chowda chowda episode but at that time it no one else had used it so, oh yeah great but it took me forever to write. it took me like almost 10 years to write the book and by the time it was published there's like three other books titled the boy too much and one of them the one that actually the person who got the the boy knew too much taught.com domain that book is about a boy who is supposed to be the reincarnation of Luke Gehrig. Oh, wow. So why they chose the, well, I, I know why they chose the title. Yeah. The boy knew too much because he knew that too much sense. about baseball, but, but it's like, man, it's a spy title. How would you, how would, I <laughs> come know. on, let me have the title. Cause I'm the only that, one writing that, that, a spy like, story. With it's it. like, say, that's like saying the nerd that knew too much. Like, well, what does he know? Science, physics. Is he, you know, Albert Einstein? Does he know Star Trek and Star Wars? Mm-hmm. Does he know how to, you know, print, you know, print, you know, fake money? It's like, well, wait a second. <laughs> Cause believe it or not, that, that was uh that was actually an original title for the funny money game of inspector gadget it was originally called the nerds that knew too much. <laughs> and they changed. It's it. like, uh, there, there's a, a gang. There's an episode of Clone Wars called The Jedi Who Do Too Much. Right. That's the, the whole the arc where um, Ahsoka leaves the Jedi is, is falsely accused of sabotage and leaves the Jedi oh, Order. Yeah. They remember. all have they all have Hitchcock titles. I forget one of them was called Sabotage, which was a which was a Hitchcock title. The, the Jedi Who Knew Too Much, and there's there's a couple others. 
I think there's like a was that a three or four part story? Like, I think that was I think it was four parts because there was also the aftermath counted as the unofficial okay. part. And they, so they did but, that on purpose too because the voice actor who did the um who did Palpatina died, so they were actually they oh had, I didn't know that they had well yeah and then Tim Curry took it over and of course we know Tim Curry died too and then of course we actually have Ian McCollum Tim Curry he, uh, I don't think. Well, no, he died later on. I'm just saying. Oh, like, and Curry did his voice after the voice actor died. But he had a stroke. Yeah, that's what. That, I, thank that you. Hurt. I yeah, that hurt. Yeah, that. I don't. I don't know if he's dead. But he had a stroke, and that hurt. Yeah, he couldn't do. Right. That's why Ian McCollum ended up reprising the role later on too, as well. Too. He says like, "You want to bring it back?" He's like, "Yeah, sure, I'll do it." <laughs> and, you know, he came back and voiced it for the the more recent cartoons with Rebels and um mm-hmm. and and Bad Batch. So at least, as I said, we, ha- we 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 got him still around. Knock on wood. The way celebrities yeah. have been this past month, I I want to just cross my fingers there. So <laughs> yeah. Well, Jeff, you know, thank you so much. Yeah, for yeah, thank you. Too. This was fun. This was a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun. And like I said, it's one of our longer episodes, but these tend to be the people actually, they hang out like, well, I want to hear more of this episode here too. So okay. we'll have that up. We'll have links, uh, everything else to your book and everything. And I, like I said, I actually, you know, I own a copy of your book. I actually grabbed two ones and donated one to my local library and to my old high oh, school. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. My high school a couple of years ago too. So as a, and they, they still have them as far as I know. So, uh, you know, even though I haven't really been in them because, you know, of COVID, but you know, at the same time, I do know they still have a copy of it. And I even looked on it. It's like, you know, oh yeah, we got a copy of it do you want it I'm like no i i donated that copy no <laughs> that's for other people to read so it's like don't, don't say i don't support my guests <laughs> i'm always happy when i look in my library and it's been checked out that, that's even a better doesn't thing. doesn't happen all that often oh someone checked out my book it's oh, like me once in a, once in a while on a blue note i'll have somebody say oh somebody bought a copy of your of, of the of you know my life is a comic book like, people care <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jeff. I'm gonna, thanks again for being on here today. And thank you, everybody, for listening for the oh, Fixed Room Podcast. Well, thank you. You are welcome. Thank you once again for listening to the Pixel Classroom Podcast. Remember, you can find us all out and me on Twitter at Ryan7Reed or Herc78 on Instagram. If you like what you hear in this podcast, please think about subscribing as well as leave us a comment. We'd love to hear from you. That's all it's going to do for today's Pixel Classroom Podcast. We will see you next time with another guest or wonderful reflection here on the Pixel Classroom Podcast. Have a fantastic day. (music) 